0: Candyman. 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 Be afraid. Be very afraid.
1: We have some bad hombres here and we're gonna get them out. I am now, oh. The box. Now
0: you opened it. We
1: came. Bing bing
0: bong bong
1: bing bing bing. I love China. Everywhere you go in Chicago, history peeks through the cracks in the pavement, through the spaces in the crumbling mortar between the old bricks, and from the faded signs that are now buried behind a maze of pipes and cables. Sometimes the stories are famous, sometimes they're lost in a microfilm reel or in a box in the legal archives. But they're out there. They're everywhere. Hi everyone, and welcome
2: to another Horror Hookup with Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. This is Maddie. And I'm Andrew. And we're uh, we're back with another horror hookup. And if this is if one of your first times coming to this sidecast of ours, just a reminder on what it is. Um, horror hookups are when we bring in professionals in the industry. So professionals could be anyone from actors to authors to directors to you name it. Other podcasters even sometimes. Um, and it's a fun way for us to explore... Uh, horror with people that work in it all the time Um, and today we're really uh, lucky and happy to have with us adam seltzer and adam is an author he is based in chicago Um, and adam um, he's also uh, he's also a historian and he spent over a decade running hundreds of tours per year uh, for companies like chicago hauntings shoreline sightseeing and weird chicago Early in his career, he began fact-checking the stories commonly told on those tours and found that they were a mess, and boy was he correct. Uh, with painstaking research, he's rebuilt those stories he was telling from the ground up, spending hours pouring through reels of microfilm, piles of paper from the legal archives, and drawers full of long-forgotten photos and documents. We had the pleasure of meeting Adam at Days of the Dead HorrorCon in Schaumburg back in November. And we went to a session that was all about uh, basically ghost stories in Chicago. And we loved it. We thought he was absolutely charming and such a good storyteller. And we knew when we heard his voice that we had to get him on the podcast. So, Adam, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. And why don't you go ahead and just uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself?
1: Well, I got my start as a tour guide here in Chicago right about the same time I started writing young adult novels for a living, and both careers just sort of aggra- uh, uh, sort of evolved over time. These days, I primarily do architectural boat tours and cemetery tours, and work on a lot more nonfiction books than fiction nowadays.
2: Awesome. Cool. Yeah, and so, you know, the, the thing that, of course, drew, drew us into you... Uh, was the career that you built, you know, on, on ghost stories, sort of. Um, and especially stories that have taken place in Chicago. And the emphasis that you really put on finding the origins of those stories and telling a more accurate and complete tale, we thought that was really especially cool. Um, it, in the midst of all those stories, and Chicago is such a fun city because there are so many ghost stories here. Yeah. Um, but have there been any that you've ever encountered or come across? that really have left you shaken or haunted or, you know, just sort of scared thinking about them?
1: Uh, you know, I wish I had a better answer for that sort of thing. <laughs> in In the middle of investigating something or when something's actually happening, I can get myself pretty freaked out because I'll, I'll kind of give myself permission to let my imagination run wild on these things. In the cold light of the next morning, I can almost always come up with a logical explanation for anything that's happened. Also yeah, sorry. yeah. Nothing's really made me think we need to rearrange physics or anything.
0: That's that's the uh, that's the historian in you, you know, yeah. <laughs> always looking yeah. for the truth. <laughs> well, the, we 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 remembered one story that really stuck with us that you you told kind of when we were on, when we listened to your panel is you were doing some Uber driving oh, and yeah, you had kind of your own experience with the uh, the you know kind of that the classic uh, what woman in white type of mentality
1: vanishing hitchhiker, yeah,
0: yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that story?
1: Oh, so. I picked up a woman up in Rogers Park, and she got into the car along with a guy who looked exactly like Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, my God. <laughs> the way that I remember it. it's the easiest way to describe. So we were, I was driving to the address in Ravenswood. I was just making conversations. Oh, you guys live in Ravenswood. You two like it there, etc. Drove right by Rose Hill Cemetery, so I talked a bit about that because I, I give tours there quite a bit. And then we got to the address, and the woman got out of the car, and nobody else did. And I said, wasn't there some guy back there in the backseat with you? She said, no, I wondered why you kept on saying uh, you two and you guys and things like that. Oh, no. So then I remember we drove right by the cemetery. And there's all these stories about, you know, the guy picks the woman up and she disappears as they go by the cemetery. So I guess I guess that's our newest ghost is Rose Hill Pedro. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and also, folks, it's, it's it's cool to hear Adam talk about that because I live in Ravenswood and I actually oh, live, yeah. I live pretty close to Rose Hill. And I, I go there uh, actually fairly often because I'm a runner and running oh, yeah. through Rose Hills is, is sort of calm and beautiful. So it's just it's neat to hear that, too. It really is. Um, Adam, you have a really great book called Just Kill Me. Um, And I think that a lot of our listeners will be particularly interested in it, not just because of uh, of the subject matter, but also because the main character, Megan, is LGBT. Could you uh, just tell us a little bit about the book and about your choice to write an LGBT character, especially for the main character?
1: All right. Well, the book is called Just Kill Me. It's about a ghost tour guide who tries to make places more haunted by killing people at them. (laughs) makes sense, makes sense, (laughs) logical you know. that's that's a one sentence description and really the the idea of having her be LGBT was just sort of evolved along with the plot Um, she has an online girlfriend in it and I kind of needed her to be uh, open to whoever this person might turn out to be Um, Mm. nowadays honestly I I had her describe herself as bisexual she'd probably use the term uh, pansexual more more now
0: yeah makes sense
1: when the book was first being written I hadn't heard that term quite as much
0: yeah, I mean, it's it's an ever evolving type of right. mentality of like, where are we at in society? And how do we kind of identify? So it's, you know, it's it's a product of time. And that's kind of where you were at at that time, obviously. Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: right. That's kind of the problem with writing is, is in fiction, the, the turnaround time between writing a book and having the book come out can be a couple of years sometimes by then the whole, by then all of the terms have changed.
0: Yeah, obviously. So in, in Just Kill Me, you, you have a quote in there that it, it's kind of along the lines of like, roasting in the summer and freezing in the winter. <laughs> and I think that that is a, kind of a very accurate portrayal of Chicago. But it, it also speaks to kind of the struggle of trying to make it in the city. And I mean, how do you kind of identify with that in the book? And, you know, how does that kind of evolve into your writing?
1: Well, you know, I've lived in the city, I've lived in the same apartment for almost 15 years now. Um, over here, we we lately started calling my neighborhood the West Loop. It, it's a little north of the West Loop, but now that that's the hot neighborhood, we started calling yeah, it
2: that. Sure, of course. Sure,
0: there's here, not like I, No Woe would, or something.
1: Yeah, people would occasionally call it Wicker Park when I first moved in here. We're not quite quite to Wicker Park or anything, but that was the hot neighborhood. <laughs> and we're kind of in, in that uh, that space in between the neighborhoods. And you know, it's right off of the Blue Line. The Blue Line is just weird. Every time you go on there, it's like a gaggle of grotesques. So I think there's a description in there. It looks like people. <laughs> just uh, just crawled out of their home in the sewer and they're off to rob a grave. Yeah. <laughs> People who just crawled out of a, char- a portrait in a Charles Dickens book or something. You mean a lot of that on the blue line.
0: Yeah, living <laughs> off of the red line, we have the same problem.
1: So <laughs> either you love it or you move out to the suburbs and wait to die. So. <laughs>
2: oh, okay. Yeah, which, which is a fate worse than any, uh, any smelly red line uh, right. uh, commute any, any day of the week. Um, folks, also, Adam's got another really great book called H. H. Holmes: The True Story of the White City Devil, um, and I know that probably a lot of our our, our listeners have uh, have probably read Eric Larson's Devil in the White City. Um, I'm sure most people have at this point. Um, and you know the, the how that that entire story about H.H. H. Holmes, how it really um, gained popularity uh, in a modern sense with the publishing of Eric Larson's book. Uh, but, but I think that Adam probably did uh, way more extensive research on, <laughs> on what happened, um, which is really one of Chicago's darkest stories ever. So what are what are some of the the really interesting facts that you discovered in your research about H.H. H. Holmes and about the Columbian Exposition?
1: Well, one thing I found was he wasn't that great of a swindler. He was a very ambitious criminal, but he got caught a lot. I found really? it... I found at least 60 lawsuits in the archives. Oh, my God. Which it, it amounts to approximately over the course of his career he got sued roughly once a month or once every six weeks Holy
2: or Holy so. shit I, d- I did <laughs> not realize that at
1: all. Yeah well he was a swindler first and foremost I mean the, the whole idea of starting a hotel he never actually had a hotel it was never completed or opened for business or anything he just said that he was going to open a hotel because that allowed him to swindle investors it allowed him to swindle insurance companies uh, people who supplied crockery flooring, wow. mattresses, bed frames everything you might need to run a hotel he could go to a, go to their suppliers say hey I'm starting a hotel give me all your stuff on credit and then he would disappear and sell the stuff for cash
0: Oh, jeez. And And, I heard you say that um, archives. like, I'd love to know a little bit, because you had had access to some, like, some, you know, these kind of archives that people don't normally have access to. Can you give us a little bit of insight? Anybody
1: can get access to them, really. You just show up at the archives and comb through the microfilm until you find uh, the serial number of a lawsuit and then turn it in and eventually they get you the paperwork on it. I love how you make that sound so easy. (laughs) It, it is the kind of thing you have to get used to, especially with Holmes, it's kind of tricky, because he usually had somebody else's name on top of the paperwork. Uh-huh. So you would look under company names, his lawyer's name, his mother-in-law's name, all the peripheral characters in the story. But often, you would, I would find one of those in the lawsuit would really turn out to be all about him, that just had somebody else's name on the paperwork. And, you know, I just, there was just a, an article that came out yesterday, it's a, this big government mind control conspiracy theory thing, um, which actually says that I I'm part of the the Holmes book.
2: Oh my God. Um,
1: their, their idea is there's this huge government mind control thing going back to at least the Civil War. It's mostly the government and the Jews, but also the transgender community is involved somehow. And oh the idea is that there's never been such thing as a serial killer. It's all just part of a big plot to make people afraid of men. Oh God. Um, see that wow. I, I am a plant to get you closer to the truth.
2: Adam, Adam, we knew it, and that's why we're, that's why we're so drawn to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've, I've never been prouder to, of an article about me to, oh, to have me figured in a conspiracy theory it. like this.
2: You know, it's it's funny to hear about H.H. Holmes as a swindler first and foremost because he he almost like reminds me of like the fire festival guy. Like, there was never going to be a festival to begin with. I just needed to get that money out of the investors. That's
1: exactly it. He had he had borrowed three thousand dollars from a guy who lived on the second floor of the building to add the third wow. floor. Um, he took out five or six fire insurance policies on it. And then lo and behold, right in the middle of the fair, the uh, third floor, which was a little better than paper mache um, mysteriously caught fire.
2: (laughs) Who would have thought?
1: Yeah, the insurance companies were not fooled for one second. That's kind of why he left town when he did.
0: Well and you I mean you know this this podcast is kind of a big deal but you know you've been on other <laughs> such things as like the History channel you know whatever that whatever that channel is yeah. um, and you talked a little bit about how you had you know access to kind of the the, the uh, crawl space on the property yeah. of the, okay. the murder hotel can you talk a little bit about that
1: Yeah well they tore down the building itself. Uh, it was there longer than people say it was. A lot, a lot of books say that it burned down in 1895, and there was a fire there, but the building was still there until the late 1930s. Uh, they finally tore it down to put up the Englewood Post Office, and the Post Office ah. only overlaps a tiny bit with where the building would have been. Most of it would have been in the. It would. It would have been in the grassy knoll next to the post office. There's always got gotcha. to be a grassy knoll in these stories. <laughs> um, so there is just a bit of overlap. And a couple of times I have gotten to go down to the basement of the Englewood post office. Um, usually with the history channel, there's a point where if you crawl like through a hole in the wall. Uh, it leads you to these tunnels that do go right in the uh, overlap of where the space would have been. So that, that's kind of wow. spooky just knowing where you are.
0: Yeah, obviously.
1: Then it gets into this crawl space underneath the post office itself, which it's not in the same space, but it looks exactly like drawings of what the basement of the Holmes Castle building looked like. Wow. I I mean, I don't know if they even had good enough lighting down there that they could have taken a photo at the time, but there were a lot of like newspaper sketch artists who were down there drawing. And really, it was just an unfinished basement. And poking around in in the basement of the post office, you kind of get the an idea of how people's imagination just ran away with them. Everything you see on the ground in the dark looks like it could have been a murder weapon, Ugh. which is kind of what happened. The reporters and the police went through. They're like, "Oh, we found a rope. He must have been hanging people." Mm. Or we found a <laughs> footprint. Maybe this is a dead person's footprint.
2: They're really reaching at that the, point.
1: <laughs> a lot, but eventually they got to where they were really reaching. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And you know, Adam, like that I think that's a really um good point to make going into our next question because it's like like we said earlier, we think it's so impressive with how much time you've spent really digging down to um I don't know about, I don't know about the truth. I don't know if that's that's as the right word, but as close as we can get. Le- yeah. Yeah. As close as you can get to the truth of any of any piece of folklore, really. Like so not just like a ghost story, but you know, whatever. But like why do you think people feel because you've gone through hundreds of stories, I'm sure. You've gone through countless. Have, why do you think people embellish so much? Why, why can't people just tell a story the way that it happened?
1: Uh, oftentimes to actually find the real way that it happened can be kind of tricky. Because like with H.H. Holmes, the only information available about him for years that people could get their hands on was the chapter in Herbert Asbury's book, Gangs of Chicago. Um, mm, which was a mixture of tabloids and, a lo- and quite a bit of Asbury's own imagination was written into that too. And even the ex, the material that he would have had access to was mostly just a small handful of newspapers and no newspaper really got the complete story of Holmes. I mean, the Chicago papers, some of them covered it very well, but they weren't able to cover the trial and the execution because that was going on clear out in Philadelphia. And they didn't really send people just to some criminal trial that was already being covered by the Philadelphia papers.
2: Mm-hmm. And meanwhile,
1: Holmes was active down in Texas for a while and in St. Louis for a while. And that was the thing that I found helped the most was I, uh, getting the papers back to the source, get the Chicago papers for the Chicago stuff, the St. Louis papers for the St. Louis stuff. And that would at least help trace things back to the source.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. I I feel like a lot of people take that for
1: face value, (laughs) but that's, but that's something I was able to do a lot easier than say a guy in 1940 would have been able to do. So I I still had to travel a bit. I still had to go through the microfilm reels, but more and more of the stuff has been digitized now. Um, not all of it by any means, but more and more of it. So I can get St. Louis papers just sitting in front of my desk. I can get uh, a lot of New York and Philadelphia papers. Whereas before, what you had, people had access to would have been very limited. So for years, all that anybody could have found out about H.H. Holmes was just what they found in that one chapter. If they went to the library, they might be able to get a couple of the newspapers, but still it's an awful long process to go through sure. all of that stuff.
0: It's kind wow. of my fantasy to like do the like the microfilm, you know. Like that's yeah. always the part in the movie where they're like, "We're gonna find what happened."
2: We, <laughs> we've got periodicals on microfilm. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes. So, Adam, cir- circling back to your to your book about H. H. Holmes too, because I, I know that this, it's about to release on paperback, right?
1: Uh, yeah, it's coming out in April in paperback. I think.
2: Fantastic! I know it's a pretty hefty volume too. Correct. Yeah, it is. Awesome. I like that. Um, So I know that we do have uh, some really voracious readers out there. And like I said before, I'm sure a lot of folks read Devil in the White City, you know, back in 2003 when it came out. Um, But tell us just a little bit more about your book and what and what readers can expect from it.
1: Uh, really, this is the first really comprehensive biography of H.H. H. Holmes that's come out. I tried, to, I tried to find out exactly what we really know about the guy, how we really know it, and also how the story evolved over time after that. Uh, so, this is several hundred pages tracing his business deals, tracing what went on in the castle building, all of his various affairs that he had, and what, what might have actually become of some of these people.
2: When you say affairs, are you the, talking the about. ladies
1: loved the guy.
2: Uh, uh,
1: it's hard to tell why. I mean you've seen you see pictures of the guy, even by eighteen ninety standards, he wasn't a great looker. Um, <laughs> it actually says in a medical report on him that a doctor conducted in prison that his sexual organs were unusually small. <gasps> uh, but the guy was a swindler, he knew how to talk, I guess. He oh knew how to- you know, if you can sell something, you can sell something. Damn.
2: <laughs> I guess that's not the, not the size of the dog in the fight, right? Damn, right. Jesus. Um, and, and and another question for you, too, Adam. Um, Mysterious Chicago. Tell us all about that.
1: Uh, that is my own tour company, Mysterious Chicago. Um, for a long time, I worked for all of the other ones, but I find that it's a lot better just to work for myself. Nobody tells me I have to push some story that I know isn't true or anything like that. I can take responsibility for my own stuff. Uh, so Mysterious Chicago, uh, this time of year, I don't do a whole heck of a lot. Not a lot of people sign up for walking tours in Chicago in the wintertime. Um, but starting in the fall, and the spring, and the summer, I'll be doing uh, cemetery tours. I'll be doing more H.H. H. Holmes tours. I do one called The Devil Downtown that just traces his career through places that I can trace him to within downtown Chicago. Oh, cool. um, and ar- back to architectural boat tours, uh, architectural walks. And there's another one that we've got now. Uh, some friends of mine and I set up a company called Effing Chicago Tours,
2: which oh, will funny. be sim-
1: basically regular Chicago tours, only we're going to wear hoodies and swear a lot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's right along our lines are, are you are you hiring by the way too <laughs> it's that be like might a work collective
1: of tour guides
2: perfect cool
0: so what are you some of your favorite uh spots in the city to kind of take people to because we've talked about rose hill we've talked about downtown. like what what are your kind of your your go-tos uh, there's
1: a lot of like little nooks and crannies around the city there's a section of calhoun place in the loop that used to be called newsboys alley and newsboys were this whole weird society almost, of uh, self-sufficient, largely unsupervised children who operated in the early 20th century. Uh, There's a little uh, nook up on Jackson Street that they call Pickwick Place that you just kind of have to know is there. Uh, Little things like that.
0: That's really cool. Because I, I think that uh, uh, Chicago is kind of known as a, a city of misfits or a city of uh, people that are not really from here. So oh, yeah, when you when you get here to kind of like know those little insider insights and get to go to those kind of places, it, it really makes a difference. And it makes you kind of take ownership in your own city a little
1: bit. Right, right. Um, in in the cities that I lived before I lived in, in college, I lived in small towns in Georgia. And I wouldn't recommend it, but one thing that made it a lot more <laughs> or more doable was finding out the historical sites and finding out what's gone on here before. So I know I'm like, oh, this is the the old man Richardson house. Yeah.
0: Uh, oh, you mean Chicago doesn't try to cover up things? Is that what you're trying to say?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we we well, it's not so much that we try to cover up things. things just kind of fall through the cracks over time.
2: um also if anyone wants to go to pickwick place with me and sing the entire score of newsies i'm down for that (laughs) i'm just letting you know that in advance now if you're visiting chicago thank you um um, so also adam we um we can't have an author on without having you read an excerpt of your work um because we think your work is really good um can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to share with us
1: today i'm going to read a a scene that i rewrote over and over again and just kill me partly just because I enjoyed doing it. Uh, As I said, Just Kill Me is about a girl who uh, tries to make places more haunted by killing people at them. She works for a ghost tour company. Uh, Her partners in this company, who are a bit older than she is, have a day job working in a nursing home and they say that they found this technique called punching people in the brain which is a very painless way to kill somebody <laughs> uh, nursing homes are full of people who would be willing to volunteer for that people whose just families just won't let them die and they say that this is a particular way to kill people that also makes it more likely for them to uh, for them to become a ghost and as they drive her out with the old mrs gunderson out to a place uh, one of the ghost tour stops she's wondering well so is are they really doing this is this all some kind of initiation prank or what so also start with when they have uh, wheeled Mrs. Gunderson out to the uh, tomb of Ira couch that still stands in Lincoln park from when it was the old city cemetery. Cool. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you so much. Says Mrs. Gunderson. You really can't know what it means to me to die on a lovely October night beneath the beautiful pink moon. October. She said it was October. It's June as sin unloads the wheelchair. I feel like I've solved the puzzle. This isn't real. It's a test and I'm going to pass. I text Zoe that I'll be back in a few while I wait for Sin to push Mrs. Gunderson out of earshot. She said it was October, I say to Rick. You lose track of time when you're in the home, he says. Is it the clue that I'm supposed to pick up on? The proof that she's not lucid enough to make a decision like this so we shouldn't be doing it? Ah, she's fine, says Rick. She's been begging and begging for this. Now, this part is your job. He picks up a plastic bag from the floor of the van and hands it over to me. I open it up and see a gorilla mask. A gorilla mask. "'What the hell?' I ask. "'It's a gorilla mask,' he says. "'I can see that, Ricardo, but what is it for? "'Hey, we're not just taking care of her as a favor. "'We're also trying to get her to haunt the place. "'It helps if she's a little bit scared when she dies.' "'I stare down at the mask. "'It smells like Halloween and new school supplies. "'This is supposed to scare her? "'Hey, gorillas are some of the fiercest killers "'in the animal kingdom,' says Rick. "'Don't be fooled by those cute ones "'who learn sign language.' This can't be real. It has to be a test. Sin comes back to the van, having left Mrs. Gunderson sitting on the grass near the couch tomb where any imprint she might leave behind where customers would, would see it. All set with the mask? She asks. Look, I say, putting it down. She said it was October and it's June. It makes me worry that she's not coherent as, as coherent as you said. I'm fine with assisted suicide for chronic elderly patients, but they have to be, you know, sound mind. Well, go talk to her a bit if you want, says Sin. Make sure. I will. I hop out of the van and march up to the tune where Mrs. Gunderson is waiting, slumped down in her wheelchair, looking peaceful and calm in the moonlight. It's June, Mrs. Gunderson, I say. Not October. Was that the clue I was supposed to notice? This is all a test, right? She doesn't respond, so I step closer. Her eyes are closed, but she seems to be smiling. I wonder for a second if old people are like babies, that when she smiles, it's just gas. But her smile stays frozen as I move alongside her. Mrs. Gunderson? Her head slumps down onto her shoulder. I wobble her, a bit, I wobble her wheelchair a bit, waiting for her to stop laughing and admit it was all a joke, but her arms fall limp at her sides. Oh, for the, the right Oxford English Dictionary synonym for shit just won't come to my brain. For the love of something, this can't be happening. I touch her face, swear out loud, and put my finger to her wrist. no pulse. I don't know enough about CPR to know if I'm doing it correctly, but I've seen enough corpses to know, that one, to know one when I see one, and I'm seeing one now. I look back at the van where Rick and Sin are standing by the passenger side watching. Uh, minor problem, I call out.
2: That's awesome. That's fantastic, Adam. Yeah. Thank you so
0: much. And that is from the book Just Kill Me by Adam Seltzer. So, Adam. Take a look.
2: Where can they find your book? All, actually, uh, where can they find your books?
1: Uh, easiest, the best thing to do is go to your local independent bookstore. If they don't have it on the shelves, they can order it. Otherwise, all of your favorite online places will have it.
2: And Adam, uh, you've got a couple of websites, right? I know one is AdamChicago.com.
1: AdamChicago.com will link you to all of my stuff. Yeah, that'll link you to the tours. It'll link you to the uh, Cemetery Mixtape podcast that I run. Um, link you to everything.
2: Fantastic. Well, folks, if you're in Chicago uh, when the warmer months come along, um, do look up Adam and let us know that you're here, too. Maybe we can join you for one of the tours because I know for sure I'll be going on one of the Ravenswood uh, well, on one of the uh, Rose Hill Cemetery tours, for sure. Oh, yeah, fantastic. for sure.
0: But Adam, we were we're so happy to have you on here today, and we really appreciate you taking you know the the little bit out of your day uh, on a Sunday of all days to uh, take some time with us. So we 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 want to just thank you and well,
1: say for me.
2: And also, uh, Adam, I might add, I absolutely adore your voice. I think it is so unique well, and so great for a storyteller. So keep that keep that instrument going, baby. We like it.
0: All right, thanks. All right, we'll talk to you soon. And as always, as we close out the show, we want you to get slayed.